Welcome to Small Biz Matters, another great program here to educate you, the small business owner, on how to be more efficient, effective, and understanding what your requirements are as a small business. Now, today we're going to be talking all about modern slavery. Now, I know a lot of you are thinking about slavery, and when you think about that, you think about people in chains and the history of slavery and how it really doesn't exist anymore. But those of you who are a little bit more savvy about what's going on in the world will understand that it is a major problem when it comes to your supply chain, and we are not completely absent from being responsible for that. Have you thought about what products you use uh, when you're creating your product? Have you thought about the types of people that are working on your products as you build them? And did you realize that there's actually a piece of legislation now that affects you as a small business owner? Well, today uh, we've got Steve and Sarah Morse who are here to talk to us from Unchained, which is a company that they set up to help explain to small, medium and large businesses what their responsibilities are when it comes to understanding their supply chain and modern slavery and how they can be more, uh, I guess, better businesses when it comes to that. Welcome to the program, guys. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Now, Stephen, let's start with you. I want to talk about what what does this mean for small business? No one's talking about it. No one's educating us. Tell us what it really means uh, for us as small business owners um, and uh, why we need to be aware of it. Sure. Well, it's possible that the conversation hasn't reached small business because the conversation is at the big corporate end of town at the moment because the Modern Slavery Act uh, targets entities earning over $100 million in annual gross revenue. So the legislation immediately uh, affects uh, the big end of town and big corporates. However, there's going to be a chain reaction with, with the legislation because once companies at the big end of town start meeting compliance, they're going to start asking their suppliers, uh, particularly the T1, T2, and mainly going to be based in Australia, small businesses, meeting businesses, to also demonstrate that, um, that they're also meeting compliance. They may not need to uh, fulfil the legislation, but they need to demonstrate that they're also slave-free in their supply chains and operations. And that's something that we're quite familiar with as small businesses. You know, we see these big pieces of legislation affect the big boys first and we watch them stumble and fall over it, which is great. They can test that out for us in the first place. But what is important about this is that we are part of that chain. Uh, invariably, there are small businesses that feed into big sectors of the economy. You think about motor vehicle work, you think about anything with manufacturing. We all feed into that. And is that one of the main reasons we kind of need to be across it and aware of it um, in, in terms of the big picture, do you think, Stephen? That's right. In the age of sustainability, we need to work out the part we play and realise that we are part of a bigger picture, uh, that, the, that we're supplying to people and people are supplying to us and that everyone in that chain is part of the, the legislation. So the, that the government is looking uh, first to big business and then all the way down for those companies to look and take responsibility uh, for what's going on all the way through to the, the sourcing of the raw materials in the first place. And that's, I think, easy to figure out if we think about products versus services. Pretty easy to work out with products. Where does the bits and pieces come from that make my widget, that make my product? But a lot of our listeners will be service providers. So let's imagine that they're a, you know, they're a consultant, they're working with maybe let's say a lawyer, a small business who's a lawyer and a law firm. Um, how would that supply chain trickle down to them and what they need to be thinking of in terms of what they're producing and whether or not there's any slavery issues there? Well, uh, service providers such as us, we need to think through what some of the, the small things that we consume as a small business. Uh, 
could be cleaning services, uh, could be uh, other companies that, yeah, work on our properties or work to actually make us uh, who we are. So uh, cleaning, um, companies that, oh, sorry. Well, anyone anyone that produces services really, anybody that services your business. That's a really good point. Now, Sarah, let me turn to you now. I wanted to ask you about um, the fact that modern slavery like I said, I'm going to be quite ignorant here and say we think of people in chains. We we are aware of, say, big companies who manufacture clothing who might not be doing the right thing in Bangladesh, for example, where they've got, you know, big factories of people working in horrible conditions. But the small business owner is going to go, but that's not me. So is modern slavery a problem here in Australia? Well, yes, it is, surprisingly. Now, the statistics here are quite variable. So we've got from the Department of Criminology are saying that there's around 1,900 people in slavery-like conditions here in Australia. And the Global Slavery Index, meanwhile, says 15,000 people here in Australia in modern slavery. But the Department of Criminology stats are also quantified in that uh, they say that probably only one in five people are identified. So if you do the maths on that, we're looking at 12 to 15,000 people here in Australia living in slavery. So they're in the agriculture, the construction, domestic service, hospitality and sex industries mostly. Um, And we talk about slaves being hidden in plain sight. So while you're not going to walk down the street and see somebody in chains in Australia, we need to have our eyes open to, for example, um, when when we're eating out. You know, we go for takeaway, we eat out. We just assume people in Australia are being paid well. But there's been several cases in the media recently where we know that that's not the case. And so we need to really just be having our eyes open about the people who are around us, who are providing our services and what their conditions might be. And is that a matter of engaging with a company and asking those questions? Or is this legislation with that trickle-down effect going to eventually mean that we can be a bit more confident as a small business sector that it's uh, that, that the people who are working with us are doing the right thing? Do we still need to ask those questions? Yeah, I think we do. I mean, here in Australia, we're lucky that our, our laws are strong and the enforcement of our laws are strong. So we also have the Vulnerable Workers Act. We've got fair work agreements and things like that. So if somebody's caught, obviously, not paying Um, good wages, then that's going to come in under those acts as well as the Modern Slavery Act. So whereas some of the countries that we're sourcing from, you mentioned Bangladesh and India and other countries like that, they might have the laws, but they're not very good at enforcing them. So here in Australia, you know, we are covered by those laws, but people still slip through the cracks. And I think, you know, when we're when we're receiving services and we're, we're receiving goods, we need to have our eyes open. Just who is providing our cleaners? Maybe we've contracted our cleaning, but maybe they've some subcontracted that. Uh, and just to be have our eyes open and to be asking those questions and to even just engage with, for example, the cleaner that comes into your office. You know, get to know their name, find out, just have a chat to them. How are you today? Are you doing well? And usually you get a sense if somebody is feeling good in their job or if, you know, perhaps they're not... Um, performing or they're not receiving the things that they need to be receiving. Stephen, asking you back about that legislation, do you think that we will have um, eventually, uh, I guess, um, a blacklist of companies who in Australia have been found to be doing the wrong thing? Do you think that in the future that's something that small business can access just to make sure that whoever they're dealing with is above board? I think uh, at this stage there's a grace period for companies to to get on board. So it's rather than focusing on who's out, it's really a question of who can actually 
uh, get in and, and it's more of a race to the top for companies. So the legislation is, is designed to actually encourage the market, encourage companies to get on board and to have a positive engagement with the issue of slavery rather than uh, a situation where we have, you know, black class, um, black listed companies. I mean, we do have a situation now through ethical business, uh, ethical guides, fashion guides, uh, Oxfam have one, Baptist White. What well, aid have one where there are naughty and nice lists of companies that that are really working hard to do the right thing and they're graded accordingly, uh, you know, D to A, um, the A's. You know, there aren't too many on the A's, but there are a lot of companies that are working hard. Oh, so together. it's a scale. It's a That's scale. really helpful. <laughs> yeah, and they get like a sticker. Do they get like a logo they can put? I love the logos that you can go, you get the quality tick and you're allowed to use that on your website. Is that a thing? Yes, they can actually uh, use that. They can say, well, at this stage we are, we're a C plus or a B or a B minus, but, you know, two, three years ago we were a C minus. So we've progressed. And I think that's how we need to approach uh, ethical sourcing and ethical supply chains. It's not something that's, you know, black and white. It's not uh, no or yes. It's actually something that we're, we're setting good KPIs, we're setting good targets, and we're engaging with this issue because of the complexities. So it can't be just, well, today I, I don't I have slavery and tomorrow I don't. Mm. It's more, yes, today I have slavery and this is what I'm going to do in the next six months, 12 months, two years, five years to actually address this issue. And it's, I assume it's a long process. Like you said, it's not something that can suddenly be switched off, particularly with the large corporates. I mean, obviously, small business is more agile. We can be faster at making decisions and implementing those decisions. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to see that corporate Australia is doing it before us. Are they, in your opinion, moving fast enough? I think I know the answer to this question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think if you speak spoke to a human rights lawyer, I'd probably they say they'd probably say not quite. They're not moving fast enough, and you know, having a journey mentality towards uh, compliance or ethical sourcing is not the right approach. So there's a big demand from from NGOs and the legal space to set clear targets, KPIs, and set a clear agenda of what you're actually doing, um, rather than. Yeah, wait and seeing. And I think there is a bit of wait and see still. We know from our experience of the UK Act that, yeah, compliance is low um, still for a lot of companies. So it's really got to do with the conversation between government and business and consumers to, to move companies along. It's like that with everything with small business. It's about the conversation between the regulators, the administrators and getting the word out there. Sarah, um, your role uh, in your company is to educate, I presume. And um, could I just ask, because it's a very interesting industry and I guess it's a new fledgling industry because of the legislation or has it always been around but more in the not-for-profit sector? No, that's true. I mean, it is in terms of engaging with corporates. Obviously, you've had not-for-profits, NGOs sort of banging on corporate doors for a number of years, uh, and they're the ones who've passed the legislation. And so we're we're just super grateful for, you know, the people that have paved the way before us, the people that have gone for 20 years campaigning, 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 governments, corporates, you know, pushing for these kind of things. But with the legislation coming in, I think it's raised the conversation to a whole new level. And so when we talk about, you know, perhaps things are a bit slow to take off, we need to remember that Australia generally is leading the way in this. So we are the sixth country in the world to introduce modern slavery laws. Sixth. The sixth. Is that it? That's it. So Who was the first? Guatemala. <laughs> <laughs> Do you um, know, Steve? Yeah, the state of California. So that's, a state. But that's a state a was state. the first. Well, yeah, unsurprising they seem to be leading the way in a lot of 
you know, left-leaning things. It's it's very interesting. And 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 Australia was the sixth. That's good. Yeah, so we're that's actually good. leading so the world. Australia in something is good. actually leading the world. And so people are now looking to us as we're looking to the UK, who've implemented similar uh, acts. Um, the world is looking to Australia as how this actually rolls out, what it looks like on a corporate level. And the Australian laws are actually some of the strongest in the world. So people are looking at us. Uh, Canada has just recently announced this last week that they're also looking into their modern slavery laws. And so the thing that excites me about this is it's not just a law. It's not just another piece of compliance. And that's really where our education comes down to because, you know, when we think about compliance, you think, oh, just another form to fill in, another box to tick. But what we're excited about is because this law actually has the potential to impact tens of thousands of people who live living in slavery worldwide. And as Australia does it, as other countries follow suit, it's going to be more and more difficult for people who are, you know, controlling in those factories and, and in those countries that we're talking from, those source countries, to actually be doing business with other countries around the world. Well, uh, it's a fantastic um, summary you've got there of what the future holds and what impact that's going to have, uh, mainly on the corporate right now, but then also trickling back towards um, the small business as well. We're going to take a quick break here on Small Biz Matters. And when we come back with Steve and Sarah, we're going to talk about the practical side of things. What is it that you're going to have to implement in the future to be aware of, to be mindful of? We're seeing Corporate Australia do it now. What do you need to do as a small business moving forward to make sure that you're compliant with this new legislation? You're listening to Triple H on 100.1 FM, Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to the studio on Small Biz Matters on 100.1 FM. You're also listening across the community radio network. Today's program is important and it's, uh, I guess, mandatory for uh, big businesses at the moment, but slowly to be trickling down to small business in the idea of modern slavery. Now, at the beginning of the program, we talked about what modern slavery is and how you need to be conscious of that in your supply chain, whether you are producing products or even services, and who looks after you and your services in your business. Something for you to think about. But let's talk about um, the act and how it's going to affect small business. But before we do that, I want to talk about Steve, Stephen and Sarah's journey because yours is an interesting one um, in the uh, setup of Unchained, which is the business you run now, because you have lived and, and, and breathed this issue for a number of years now through your volunteerism. Sarah, do you want to take us through your journey and why you're so passionate about this? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think when we're talking something like a global issue in modern slavery, it can be hard, it can be easy to get overwhelmed by the statistics. You know, we're talking about 46 million people living in modern slavery on our world today. But when I hear those statistics, what I think about are the individual people that I've met in my journey. So my journey started, uh, I was born here in Sydney and I thought my life was pretty, pretty ordinary. And then when I was 17, I went to Africa and saw poverty for the first time. That was part of a World Vision study tour. And uh, at that time I realised, you know, these people who literally had nothing to eat or nothing to feed their children, and I realised that the life that I was born into in Australia was actually an extraordinary gift. And so since then, for more than 20 years, I've spent um, my time visiting humanitarian projects, uh, taking teams from Australia to work in development contexts and fundraising and advocacy here in Australia. Uh, I spent two years working in an orphanage in Romania, and um, that's where I really got to a deep understanding of the push and pull factors related to human trafficking and modern slavery. 
And uh, most recently, Stephen and I spent five years working in Spain in modern slavery. And uh, Stephen was doing his research. So he has a doctorate in human trafficking, really understanding from an academic level how the movement of people around the world is impacted. And also looking at issues like poverty and how we can actually prevent this from happening in the first place. So the people that I've met around the world uh, you know, mostly are coming from situations where they're desperately poor and they have no other option but to engage in this kind of work. And for many people, they they often applying for a job that they think is going to be a good income, that's going to be a regular job, and it's not until they get there that they realise that they're actually now working for a slave driver and they have no way of escape. So I think yeah, for us, we come from a background of strong humanitarian work and also academic research. And while we were in Spain, I also worked in a safe house for survivors of human trafficking into the sex industry. And uh, so there again, you know, individual people with real stories, real names, real families back in their home countries and uh, stories of just extreme um, trauma and abuse that they've suffered at the hands of uh, the human traffickers and the, and the slave owners. Well, it's wonderful that you're taking this volunteer experience and this harrowing experience that you've been through and sort of turning it into something that can really make a difference on a large scale. Stephen, can I talk to you about the, uh, the economics of this? Because there's nobody, I think, who can say that they are completely free of impacting slavery worldwide. We live in a global economy these days. Sure. Um, is that something that was part of your research when you were, when you were living in Spain? Is, were you, did you find anything surprising or was it, as you imagine, that you know, it's hard to extract yourself from that process? Sure. Well, I think you know, as we began to investigate uh, this issue more and, and began to look at what, was, what were the levels of intervention uh, here. We saw a lot of aftercare work. We saw a lot of post-trafficking work being done to restore the lives of those who'd been traumatised through trafficking and some great projects that are being done. But I really saw a, a sort of a niche, if you like, a gap where, uh, and it was really a gap with men to engage men in this issue, particularly around uh, sex work and working with women. There's not a lot that men can do in that space in terms of actually caring for women. So but there are lots of things that men can do. I really saw the need uh, to engage men uh, in the area of prevention. What can we do to prevent uh, someone from crossing a border, from moving cities, taking up the opportunity to go to Paris or Madrid or, or London in the search of a better life and then finding themselves caught up in cycles of exploitation and trafficking? So, yeah, I think what surprised me was just, yeah, the in terms of intervention, there was just not enough in that space and making those connections between aid and development and economic development in countries and the, the reality, the, the crime of modern slavery and trafficking. So there was a lot of energy going into to trying to prosecute. How do we prosecute traffickers? How do we care for, for those for victims or we like to call them survivors of slavery? Uh, not enough effort uh, to go into, well, what can we do in the first place to to make sure that people don't have that temptation, to remove that temptation or give them a reason to stay with family, with community, uh, because there's opportunities there for them to, yeah, to to get educated and to get a job and to have a better future. So that was really a lot of my research was about you know, the push and pull factors and what we can do, uh, particularly wealthy people or people who you know have you know influence, what they can do to actually set things up in those countries where 
the source countries where people are coming from. Isn't that just a matter of economics? Isn't that just a matter of if the global economy gets stronger, if a country such as Romania improves its economy, more jobs are created there, less likely to go to other places and be trafficked or less likely to feel that there's no other option? Um, or are you speaking more in terms of bigger organisations being involved in the prevention? Well, I think, yes, I mean, yes, the connection seems simple, doesn't it? It seems obvious, but not necessarily. But I think, yeah, there is a role for governments to strengthen governments and local authorities and police enforcement. But there is a big role for business to play through the cleaning up of supply chains, through uh, supplier engagement, through looking at the factories where their products are being made to think, well, we could actually do something constructive here. We could actually have an impact, not just about improving the wage of a worker or making sure that the factory is safe, as important and as critical as that is. But let's look around that factory, what's going on around in that factory with the community, their families, what are the children doing while the mum and dad are working? Mm. It's like the micro-economy in and around that, yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, obviously with having it mandated, that's a nice big big, um, carrot and having the system where you've got the reporting guide of A to I think that's hilarious is going back to school reporting cards (laughs) for these guys. But that's good. It gives them, as you said, it incentivizes rather than blacklists. Exactly, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, So this piece of legislation which is currently sitting with corporates, did you say gross over $100 so not small business. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk about the the legislation and um, what the mandatories are at the moment, and then what we can imagine that trickle down will be to small business. Sarah. So when we're looking at the legislation, uh, first of all, we're looking at the the reporting period. So the companies that are earning over a hundred million, as we talked about, uh, for most people, that will mean that we're in the middle of the first reporting period now. So if you have a financial year, and I know different companies operate on different financial systems, but if you have a July to June financial year, then we're smack bang now in the middle of the first reporting period. So the first modern slavery statements are due six months after that period. So that puts us at uh, December. 31, 2020 for the first statements. So an important factor to remember here is that statements need to be signed off at a board level and also that uh, those statements will be available on public domain. So that means that uh, not only, you know, that business has access to those documents but NGOs, other pressure groups, consumers, which is an important one, uh, all of us can actually get online and read those statements. And so what I think we'll see is similar to in the UK where in the first year, uh, you know, people tend to write a fairly general, broad statements. And uh, and then as those come out on public domain, they can kind of see and, you know, there's horizontal referencing goes on between, uh, you know, companies within the same sphere and they're looking at that and saying, hang on, someone else has gone a bit deeper than us. We need to go deeper. And the consumers are looking at that. And I think, you know, it's important here to remember as, as our small business owners that we're all consumers as well. Yes. And so the consumer voice in that, where we do look at those ethical guides and say, well, hang on, you know, you said in your modern slavery statement, you were going to do this and you haven't done it. So what are you doing? And I think the role of the consumer voice there is very, very important. So, but I think as with all legislation, it's, you know, the legislation is almost a hundred pages long. It's very difficult for us to get our heads around and 
you know, especially as small business owners where there's multiple laws, multiple levels of compliance and things are changing all the time. And so we've developed a really simple framework just to outline the main four things that we need to cover when we're talking about our modern slavery statements. So it's the STOP slavery framework, so S-T-O-P. So first of all, we need to state the risks. Now, when we're talking about risks, people automatically think about risk to themselves or risk to their business. But here we're talking about risk to people in our supply chains. And if we're just concentrating on our own reputation, then those people will probably suffer. But if we look at those people and identify the risk to them, then our reputation will stay intact. And so. going back to the practicality, you could be talking about people who are working in your business and supporting your business through services and also through the supply chain and products that you're using as part of manufacturing your own product. That's exactly right. Those people. I like the fact that you're coming back to the people in the, in that, not just, you know, a checklist. That's right. And that's always what we're coming back to at Unchained. So our role really is to keep bringing it back to the people because, as I mentioned before, they're the things, they're the ones that are in our mind, you know. It's not just about compliance. It's actually about the people at the other end of the supply chain. Mm. So we've got S for state the risks and then T for take action. So the modern slavery statement needs to identify areas that you're taking action in. Uh, and, and sort of specific action that you're going to take. So as Stephen mentioned, it's not enough just to say, oh, we're on a journey of transparency. We're, we're hoping to look into it at some point. It's very corporate. <laughs> <laughs> we need some specific actions. And then O is for outline the consultation process. So what training have you done? Who, what stakeholders have you spoken to? Who have you actually engaged with this? And how is your board engaged as well? And then P is for propose your improvement strategy. So we want to know not only what actions you're taking, but what your future plans are for action into the next couple of years over the modern slavery statements. And this framework that you've created, that basically means that the criteria with which the legislation requires of people is, is, is being met? Yeah, so that's basically the four main things. Obviously there's other things around stating the structure of your business, naming your entity or legal kind of things like that, but they're the four main things that we need to keep in mind when completing a modern slavery statement. Now you spoke about uh, a board having this requirement and I don't think that's too far removed from small business. I'm sure there are small businesses out there who um, have a structure which has a board or a PTYLTD with a number of directors. Stephen, do you think that that's where the trickle-down effect will happen? The next step will be businesses, um, say, 50 million who have a board or maybe um, those who are a PTYLTD. Will that, will that be the step-by-step -step process for this legislation, do you think? Yeah, I think in time, I mean, there'll be a three-year review for the Modern Slavery Act. So the government will look to see what's working, who's complying, who's actually uh, yeah, and what what they're saying about their actions and what and what they're proposing, uh, but we'll see in time there'll be a trickle down effect in terms of of small entities that need to to opt in. But we're already seeing that just the other day we were talking uh, to somebody, uh, a private company, a medium sized company, probably in the fifty million mark. Uh, they don't need to comply, but they're already asking their suppliers, their subcontract subcontractors, or those who service their operations. To opt, to opt in, to demonstrate compliance um, with the legislation. What's the biggest industry that you can foresee? Do, do you think they'll do it industry by industry or they'll just do it by size? Because they haven't done it with a corporate, have they? They haven't kind of gone anybody who's in building construction or anybody who's in cleaning. They're not going sector by sector. They're more going size. So are they less likely to do it across sectors, do you think, for small business and more likely to just say, okay, as, as businesses get smaller, that's 
that's when they're, they're going to have to become compliant and mandated. I mean, I think the thing to remember here is that modern slavery it impacts across all industries. So across all supply chains, across all operations, there, there are slaves. And so really what we want to look at, rather than looking specifically at industries, we, we want people to be having the conversation. And to remember, we don't need to be perfect to start with. We need to just identify that we're taking action and that we're moving forward. So I think, yeah, there's not really much point breaking it down by industry because when you start to look, even to scratch the surface a little bit, we're all going to find slaves in our supply chains. And so it's something that we need to take away the stigma from. You know, the media will often grab hold of somebody and say, oh, you know, such and such producer had slaves in their supply chain. But the fact is that we all do. And as consumers, the, the food that we eat, the clothes that we wear, the technology we use is all affected. And so rather than saying, well, this industry is particularly bad or that one, you know, we need to actually look at it as let's have a conversation about this because we're all involved in this, whether we want to be or not. And, and Stephen, if I could just turn to you and say when this, when this eventually happens, uh, you mentioned opting in. Is that a relatively easy process uh, to do for a medium-sized business? Yes, you you just need to, uh, with the Department of Home Affairs, uh, state that you want to opt in to fulfil the Modern Slavery Act. But once you've opted in, you need to you need to carry you need, need to fulfil it. So there's no point saying we'll opt in and not do anything about it. If you're going to declare that you're opting in, you need to opt in and you need to meet compliance and submit your modern slavery statement. And that's where you need professionals to help you with that process by the sounds of it because this is a whole new ball game and something it should have been in place a long time ago obviously but it's something that's completely new and um, something that we need to be conscious of as businesses. Um, Sarah, do you think this is overall going to be a, a good good thing for small business or do you see it as more another thing that we need to be compliant with? Look, I think it's a great opportunity for small businesses to actually get ahead of the game because as, as a small business, your supply chains are less complicated. They're, um, you know, often much simpler. As you mentioned, you know, as a small business, you might not be procuring goods from multiple different sources. So I think it's actually a good way of small businesses to stay ahead of the game, to promote themselves as an ethical company. They may actually only need to take, you know, a few simple steps, whereas you're looking at big corporates with complicated supply chains, you know, it, that's a very complicated process to then start undoing that. Uh, so I think it's a way that small businesses can actually get a step ahead. And then when they're tendering for business, they're able to say, you know, we're already compliant with modern slavery statement. Um, you know, here's our last year's statement, you know, as proof that we've, that we've complied. And uh, I think that will put small business in really good stead for um, increasing business in the future. And it's a great way of advertising Australian small business. If you tick that box and you've got that possibly A, A plus rating, then you can pitch and go for government contracts more easily. So this is almost like a gimme for small business, isn't it? Exactly. And that's the way that we like to, to see it is that it's actually an opportunity. And as we mentioned before, we just want to always be thinking that this isn't just about the compliance, but it's actually about culture change. And so if we as small businesses can be part of that culture change, actually, you know, bringing it, you know, putting that pressure on the corporates, you know, from the other, from the ground up kind of thing, uh, then I think we'll see greater change happen more quickly. And Stephen, speaking of pressure, do you think that um, it's it's going to be uh, sector by sector? Do you imagine the sustainability sector being faster uptake of this, or do you are you seeing, um, say, construction or a different sector be be better at uptaking and being compliant around this? 
I think sustainability sector will be at the forefront because it's it's on their agenda and they want to make sure that they are known for being sustainable in all in all matter of things, not just social and environmental. So so sustainability and they also want to attract the best talent as well. So it's very much on the agenda of young people as they enter the workforce that companies have a purpose, uh, are ethical, are sustainable and give the opportunity for young people to to do to grow in that environment. You raise a really important point there, actually, because um, attracting talent and retaining talent is a big problem for small business when we're competing with the big boys for for the millennials and for the new generations of workers. Um, this is a great way to attract them, saying that you are compliant not only for your own workers but also for any business that you're going for as well. That's right, and it gives it gives young people the opportunity not just to excel in their particular uh, trade that they're coming to the business in, but also to expand into and to approach business and in an entrepreneurial entrepreneurial way with issues of sustainability that they can actually grow into. So, Sarah, as well as your STOP plan, which you make available, I presume it's available for people to look at on the website, and they can follow that as some as some sort of uh, broad step by step process. Um, what else should be people looking like looking for with when they're engaging with a company like Unchained to support them? So what what do they need to have um, to understand that that what they're getting back for for their buck? Right. So I guess there's a number of different things that we offer. So first of all, it's a basic training and education piece, because as we've sort of talked about already, this is a new area and uh, and not many people are aware of what they need to do to comply. But first of all, why they need to comply. So we're looking at training and education and then moving into uh, gaps analysis. And so Unchained offers a really fantastic um, gaps analysis package where we can come into your company or a group of small companies, we could work together and actually go through step by step and work out where your gaps are and where your risks of modern slavery are and then the steps that you can take in developing an action plan. So, yeah, so we offer those services sort of as a one-off but also as an end-to-end product as well. And that's, I think, important part of the legislation. It's an action plan. It's not like you have to suddenly tick all the boxes within 18 months. This is a gradual process and as long as you're showing, am I right, as long as you're showing um, adherence and and improvement in this regard, then it keeps the legislators happy. That's right. And that's really more what we're looking for because that's where real change is going to happen. So if people are just making big fancy statements and ticking off boxes and saying, oh, we're doing all these wonderful things, but they're not really, well, that's useless. But if people are saying we're taking small steps to implement change and we mean it, then that's where the change is going to happen. And that's eventually where it's going to impact people on the other end of supply chains. And Stephen, do you think it'll be overall as this progresses and, and works its way through the economy, it's going to be more of a peer pressure situation or has the government put in place enough regulators and administrators <laughs> to be able to, um, to to police this or is it really going to be a peer pressure situation? This is very much a peer-to-peer uh, market-driven initiative. So the, the legislation has been set up with the, with us, the spirit of a race to the top who is going to show leadership who is going to actually excel so it's not about what we can what we can do to tick boxes and and meet the bottom line this is about what can we can do to show leadership in this space not and not just meet compliance but go beyond compliance which is what we're about to invest in communities where slavery exists uh, to have you know great CSR programs that are attached to this uh, to see modern slavery um, and the culture change sort of permeated throughout the, the, the corporation. So it's not just a question for compliance or procurement. That is part of 
how we function as a, as an organization and that everyone in the organization is knowledgeable and equipped to address this issue. I think we're talking about the future and we're talking about the future of removing as many of these um, issues from the supply chain as possible. And I think, you know, 2.2 million Australian businesses have probably got a large impact on that, both as consumers themselves and as uh, producers of product. Um, Sarah, Thanks so much for joining us on the program today, guys. It's It's been incredibly informative. Um, I'm not as fearful on behalf of small business of this piece of legislation. I think it's more exciting and, and I, I can sense from you guys that, it, that it's a, a wonderful thing and it will mean uh, a big change for the people who are the victims of slavery. Thank you for sharing your story as well. Now tell us where people can find out a little bit more about Unchained and where they can access your services. Sure. So you can go to www.unchained.net.au and there you can actually jump on and do a quick survey to find out where your business sits in meeting the Modern Slavery Act requirements and also access our uh, online learning program as well. So there's a few easy wins there for you straight on onto the webpage and then obviously get in touch with us and we can have a conversation about how we can help. Well, fantastic, guys. Thank you for sharing your journey, your expertise, your wealth of knowledge in this area. And um, we look forward to having you on the program again. Fantastic. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Thank, Thank you. you.